Hey, I'm so glad to see you today. We're kicking off a new series called God Is Here. And whether you're watching in the building or from home, God is with you. He wants to speak to you this December. You know, it's so interesting. Two people can be going through the exact same situation and one can experience joy while another experiences devastation. I experienced this a week ago when the Colts were playing against the Tennessee Titans. You see, I was really hoping that the Colts would win, but one of my buddies who lives down in Nashville, he was quick to let me know that the Colts were losing. Yeah, the Tennessee Titans ran away with that game, but as they did, I reminded myself that the Colts have had some great seasons. I took myself back to February of 2007 when the Colts were on the winning side of the equation. And isn't it so interesting when there's a big game that you can have two different groups of people going through the same situation. One group is overjoyed, the other is devastated. I wonder this Christmas season so far, which describes you more, overjoyed or overcome? Elated or discouraged? If I could tell you today how to find God's joy, would you wanna know how? We'll look at this. In Matthew chapter two, the very first Christmas we see this same contrast. The Magi, that's the wise men, they were overjoyed that God had come to earth in the person of Jesus. But in the exact same event, King Herod, who was threatened by the presence of God, another king in his territory, he was deeply disturbed. Now, I wonder for you today, if I could tell you how to move from disturbed to overjoyed if I could tell you how to experience not just happiness, but the actual joy of God and of heaven, would you wanna know how? Well, God answers this question here in Matthew chapter two. Let me give you the summary of his answer, and then we're gonna dig into this chapter. It's so rich, I know you're gonna learn so much. Here's our big idea from God's word today. Seeking and worshiping Jesus, this is the difference between being joyful or living in misery. Jesus is the difference for you between joy and misery. You see, as almighty God, Jesus is the source of life and warmth and joy. And he's unchanging in that sense, just like the sun is always shining out above the clouds. Jesus is always there giving joy. But the question for you today is, will you seek him and will you worship him? Well, let's dig into Matthew chapter two and learn what this looks like. Starting in verse one, we're told this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, these magi, or sometimes we call them the wise men. You've probably heard or seen them in cartoons and in manger scenes as three wise men. Now, we don't know for sure if it was three or if it was four or if it was two. The Bible never gives us the number. We know it was plural and they brought three gifts. But the point is these wise men, they traveled from the east. And in the New Testament, what this language conveys is that they traveled thousands of miles thousands of miles, most likely by camel. And so this is a long journey, months and months, if not longer, that they were traveling to find the Messiah. 
And we know in the very next verse that it's not just that they saw this beautiful star, but they knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew that God had promised to his chosen people, the Jewish people, that he would come to earth as the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and the King of Kings who will someday rule and reign over every nation. That's why in verse two, these wise magi, they ask, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. As such an important word. It doesn't say we've come to admire him or we've come to meet him even, but we've come to worship him. You know, my son, Jack, he loves alligators and lizards and reptiles. And we had this agreement that if he read through a certain part of the Bible, that I would take him down to Florida to this place called Gatorland. Here's a picture of me and Jack. Well, Jack and actually an albino alligator when we were down at Gatorland. We had so much fun. We had so much fun watching these alligators. It was a long journey and we were there to admire them because they were interesting to look at. But what a difference between traveling somewhere to admire or watch versus traveling somewhere to kneel down, to bow down and to worship almighty God. This was the intent of those wise men when they came to worship Jesus. I wonder for you this Christmas season, has it occurred to you that the Christ of Christmas deserves your worship? Not only your admiration, not only your awareness and acknowledgement, and that could be a step in the busyness of the season, like, oh yeah, Christmas is about Jesus. Well, that's a good step. Next step, worship him. Have you worshiped him? Will you worship him today? We'll contrast that with King Herod in verse three. It says, when King Herod heard this, what did he hear? Well, these wise men who've come from a distant land, they're here to worship the king of the Jews. Herod is disturbed, why? because he's threatened. This might threaten his comfort, his kingdom, his power. And so he's disturbed and all of Jerusalem is disturbed with him. Now I'm gonna skip over verses four through six of Matthew two, but I'd encourage you in your life application study Bible to read them. You can text the word Bible to us if you don't yet have a life application study Bible. What happens in verses four through six is that Herod asks the priests, and the religious leaders of the Jewish people, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they all tell him in Bethlehem. And what's so interesting about their conversation is that these religious leaders, their entire career, their legacy, their national identity, it's all about the Messiah. And yet they're gonna miss him. They're gonna miss him because they feared Herod more than they feared God. They cared about what Herod thought more than they cared about what God thought. And I wonder for you this Christmas, maybe you're choosing for yourself, do I really believe in Jesus? Or will I really worship Jesus openly with my friends and with my family? Don't let your fear of what other people think of you cause you to miss out on experiencing God because that's what happened to the very priests who were waiting for the Messiah. Well, in verse seven, we pick up and Herod calls these magi secretly And he finds out from them, you know, hey, exactly when did you see this big star that you're associating with the king of the Jews? Exactly when did you see it rise up? And they kind of give him a date. But Herod, we know, wasn't seeking God. Herod was seeking something else. He was seeking to protect himself. 
I wonder for you this Christmas, what are you seeking? We're all seeking something. Are you seeking maybe just a little rest? Are you seeking a break? Are you seeking fulfillment? What are you seeking? And have you considered actually looking to Christ to be the one who can fulfill your deepest desires? Well, in verse eight, Herod continues and he sends these wise men to Bethlehem. He says, go, search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. Herod's being completely uh, deceptive here. He's lying. He's pretending like he wants to go and worship Jesus. Later on, he's gonna try to kill Jesus. Well, verse nine, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen, this divine sign that God had put in the skies, continued to rise ahead of them until it stopped right over the place where Jesus was. I think that's so interesting that there was this divine sign in the sky and these wise men from a distant land, they had seen it and yet so many others hadn't. And that's really the theme here in Matthew 2 is that Jesus can be right in your backyard. He was in Herod's backyard and you can miss it because you're only thinking about yourself. Or Jesus could be thousands of miles away and you can find him because you're actually seeking him. When you see God moving, set out to join him. And that's exactly what these wise men did. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed is really our theme here in Matthew chapter two, that when you seek God and you worship him, you can experience exactly this. You can be overjoyed with the very joy of God. Well, verse 11, they come to the house and they see this child, the Messiah with his mother, Mary, and they bow down to worship him. Again, this difference between just admiring someone and worshiping someone. They're worshiping Jesus as God. And even though these magi are men of wealth and education and resources, they physically kneel and they physically humble themselves to say, Jesus, you are almighty God. Could you imagine the faith that that required to see a baby and to believe this is God? Well, then they not only kneel, but they stand up and what do they do? They open their treasures. So I don't know if you've ever gone shopping back in the day when we could shop in person at malls and you've got presents in your car. And if you've ever been taking a gift to someone who's far away, and you've got the car packed up with suitcases and that present is wrapped, it usually gets a little bumped and jostled along the way. Could you imagine these guys had traveled thousands of miles by camel? And now here's these gifts that they've been protecting all along. They open up these treasures and they present to Jesus, Jesus, here's our gifts. And these are not cheap gifts. These are not dollar store gifts. These were not bought at CVS or Walgreens on the way there at the last minute. This is gold, uh, gold of, of immense value in every culture throughout history. Frankincense, a very expensive oil that actually still exists today. And then the myrrh, each of these symbolic of Jesus being God, dying on the cross, rising again for our sins. And then I love verse 12. Because after the Magi make this extravagant sacrifice, they give this extravagant sacrificial gift to Jesus. I love it that God 
then protects them. And I wonder for you, have you ever given to God a tangible gift of any kind? Have you ever written a check to God or have you ever sold something and given the proceeds to God? Have you ever uh, given away something that was of value to you to God or to the work of God? Well, when we do that, God tells us that as we seek first his kingdom, he will add to us whatever we need. And it's so interesting in verse 12, these magi, they travel to Jesus, they worship him, they give of their tangible treasure to him. And now if it wasn't for God intervening, they would go straight back to Herod and Herod would either force them to say, where is Jesus? Or he would kill them. I mean, this Herod was evil. Uh, He's going to go on a killing spree after this, trying to find Jesus and kill him. But God warns them in a dream, don't go back to Herod. And so they returned to their country by a different route. I love this principle that when we prioritize the work of God in our lives, God protects us and that God is of a higher order. He was able to protect these magi in a way that money and political power couldn't have protected them, but God, by warning them in a dream, could protect them. Having been warned by Herod, they went back a different way. And then verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Get up, the angel said to Joseph. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Such a fascinating part of the Christmas story that the Christmas story actually involves a struggle between good and evil. A struggle that Herod now is going to go on a rampage and he's going to start killing children under the age of two trying to find Jesus. Just horrific, horrific evil. Why is there good and evil in the first chapter of the Christmas story? Here's why. Because there's good and evil in the first chapters of the human story when Satan came into the world and infected it with evil. And we now live in this great struggle of good versus evil. And Jesus coming to earth is God's rescue plan. And that's why Satan wants to shut it down from the start. And as you start to encounter Jesus and believe Jesus and obey and follow Jesus, Satan will try to shut down God's work in your life as well. But just like those magi, And just like Joseph and Mary, God will protect you as you continue to walk by faith. Look at verse 13. The angel tells Joseph, the dad, stepdad of Jesus, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Think about this. Herod not only missed the joy of Christmas, but you talk about going to the other extreme. He's so consumed with his own power, his own prestige, his own possessions that evil overtakes his heart. And he actually goes on a killing rampage. It's so interesting. There are people who seek God and bring him gifts and there are people who miss God. Now this was true on the first Christmas, but guess what? This is true every Christmas since. This is true today. I wonder which of these better describes you. Are you in the group of people who are seeking God and bringing gifts to God, experiencing the power and the joy of God? Or are you in this other group of people who just totally miss God? What kind of person have you been and what kind of person do you want to be? Well, let me give you three ways that you can be like the Magi and you can find the joy of Christmas, 
the joy that these magi experienced, here's number one, seek Jesus consistently. Seek Jesus consistently. We saw that these magi, they traveled from thousands of miles away. And when they arrived to Jerusalem, they didn't say, where's the nicest place we can stay? They said, where's the Messiah? We're looking for the Messiah. They were seeking consistently. I wonder, who do you think felt more joy that first Christmas? Insecure Herod, sitting in his riches and wealth, worried about protecting his own kingdom, or these wise men who left everything, who journeyed out of their comfort zone, who risked and who sought God and who gave treasure away, which one experienced more joy? Here's a question for you. On a scale of one to 10, how aggressively have you been seeking Jesus? I mean, maybe you're watching this and you say, John, this is the first time I've listened to a church message in a long time, if ever, and I'm just getting started. Well, congratulations. Keep seeking with us every weekend. Others of you, I know you're watching this and you've been in church for years and God has done amazing things in your life. But right now, God's kind of giving you a wake up call of, hey, this month of December, this is all about seeking Jesus. You know, we all have thought, how much am I going to spend on Christmas presents for the person I love the most. You know, what's my budget? What'll I spend on them? What'll I spend on each child or on my spouse? Or if you're anything like me, maybe you've thought, how much will I spend on myself for Christmas? Here's a question. How much have you spent on God for Christmas? How much treasure, how much time, how much time have you actually even just thought, Jesus, this Christmas, I really want to experience you. You know, I could tell you all sorts of beautiful stories and we could show you beautiful videos and have powerful worship that moves you emotionally. But if you don't in your heart say, Jesus, I wanna seek you this Christmas. I wanna be like those magi. I wanna seek you consistently in my life. You've gotta make that choice for yourself. Well, when it comes to seeking consistently, I wonder, did you hear the story about this guy who found a nine-carat diamond. Uh, Here he is, Kevin. Kevin was visiting the Crater of Diamonds State Park when he discovered a nine-carat diamond. And here's what I love about this story. If you've never heard of the Crater of Diamonds State Park, it's on my bucket list. I haven't been there yet, but it's this big old park, 30-some acres. It's a field of diamonds. And thousands of diamonds have been found in this field and anyone can go there and dig for diamonds. You just pay $10 for a ticket. It's a state park in Arkansas and they've got a finder's keepers policy. So if you go and you look and you find a diamond like Kevin did, you get to keep it. Pretty cool. Well, Kevin was first taken to the Crater of Diamonds State Park when he was in second grade. And get this, he's 33 years old now and year after year, From second grade to age 33, Kevin would go back to this crater of diamonds state park over and over again. And he always left empty handed, but he never gave up. He kept believing. And I love this quote from him. It says, after hours of searching, Kevin and his friends stopped by the park's diamond discovery center to have their stones examined. You pick your stones up and you take them to the experts. Moments later, Kevin was called into the office and given the good news. And he says, quote, I honestly teared up when they told me I was in complete shock. I love it that Kevin lives right there in Arkansas 
And there's so many other people who live in Arkansas who drive by this park every day. They drive right by the exit on the highway. They've never thought to get off and to search or to search consistently like Kevin did going back year after year for 33 years. But man, it was worth it to find this nine carat diamond. Here's a close up of the diamond. How cool is that? Nine carat diamond. And you know what? Every one of these people who finds a diamond at this crater of diamonds state park has in common, they seek consistently. They don't give up. You know, it's interesting when you read Matthew 2 to think how many people in Jesus' day walked right past Almighty God. Uh, Priests in all their garb who had all these Bible verses memorized and their whole life was about waiting for the Messiah. And Herod even comes and says, hey, there's rumor that the Messiah was born. Where should I look? And they say, oh, go look in Bethlehem. But they don't even think I should go look for myself. So many people who missed the miracles, who missed the healings, They missed the most important thing in their life. They missed the most important thing in eternity. And you know what? A lot of people today do the exact same thing. Have you been doing that? Have you maybe been missing Jesus? I want to encourage you today, if nothing else this Christmas, seek Jesus consistently. I love this promise in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. I think most of us have had a time of desperation when we're really low or we're really hurting and we cry out to God. And that's great, by the way. God is near to the brokenhearted. He's listening to you in those moments. Earnestly seeking him means then when things get better in life, you keep crying out to him. Or if things get even worse, you keep crying out to him earnestly, persistently, consistently seeking God is one step on your path to experiencing this overjoyed sensation that the Magi had in Matthew chapter two. And here's the second thing that you can do. You can humble yourself and worship Jesus as God. I love this, that the Magi, not only did they seek Jesus consistently, but once they found him, they humbled themselves. They worshiped him as almighty God. You know, Christmas is all about God wanting to be near you. He wants you to seek him. Why? Because he's already seeking you. That's why he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you search with all your heart, God wants you to be in his arms. God wants you to be in his house. I was reading this last week, a Christmas devotional with my children, and I learned something that I've never learned before. I learned that this question we read when the Magi show up and they say, where is he? Well, it turns out that's the very first question in what's called the New Testament of the Bible. And like so many things in scripture, because it was divinely written, it has this beautiful pairing, this combination with the Old Testament or the first half of the Bible. Because you see, the first question of the New Testament was the Magi asking, where is the Messiah? But you know what the first question of the Old Testament was? It was God asking, where are you? Where are you? I wanna take you into this moment when Adam and Eve first sinned and their shame caused them to be separated from God and they ran away from God and God finds them. And when he finds them, he doesn't say, what did you do? Or what were you thinking? Or how could you fail like that? Or how could you mess up? No, as he's 
as he's seeking them, he says, where are you? Ann Voskamp in her book, Unwrapping the Greatest Gift, she writes this, God refuses to give up on you. Your God looks for you when you're lost. Your God calls out for you when you're ashamed and broken and hurting. God doesn't run you down. He doesn't strike you down. He doesn't flog you. Whenever you fail, whenever you fall short, whenever you sin, your God whispers to you with a love that wraps around you like a gentle arm. Wherever you are, I will always come find you. Whatever you've done, I will always keep looking for you until my eye sees you, till my hands are healing you, till I can hold you close to my heart again. No matter what the day holds, no matter how the season of your life unfolds, God holds you and enfolds you. And what was the very first question of the New Testament in the Bible? The very first question after Jesus was born, where is he? Really wise men and women never stop looking for God. And because your God is love, he never stops looking for you. And then I love this, listen closely. At one wooden tree in the Garden of Eden, Eve fell for the lie that God didn't love us and we all fell away from God and got lost. Then at another wooden cross near the Garden of Gethsemane, God found us and stretched out his arms and proved forever that no matter what, he loves us with an unconditional love. Sometimes you can almost feel it when you fall. He comes and unwraps that lying, stealing snake from your feet and wraps his arms around you and you unwrap the very greatest gift, a love that never, ever lets go. This is ultimately what Christmas is about. That almighty God saw us enslaved to sin, deceived by the lies of Satan, and that he came down into our world as the person of Jesus. This is why we worship him. This is we, why we not only admire him, but we say, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. I bow down before you because you have rescued me from the slavery of death, from the slavery of sin, from eternal separation. It's through Jesus that we have eternal life. And I wonder, do you know for sure that you've trusted in him this Christmas? And then if you have, which one best describes your relationship to God right now? Hiding or seeking? Which one best describes how you've been relating to God? Are you hiding from him or are you seeking him? Well, there's a third pathway to the joy that the Magi experienced. And it's this, give Jesus your tangible treasure as an act of worship. It's so interesting that the Magi, they didn't just come with some worship songs. That would have been nice, but they came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, these were commodities of their time. They were tangible treasure. Of what Jesus says here in Matthew 6, 23, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, wherever you put your treasure, your heart follows. I've found in my life, I can deceive myself into thinking, oh, I really love God or I really love this person. But if none of my treasure is there, it indicates uh, that really I'm not backing it up. If you wanna know what I actually love, look at my bank statements and guess what? The same is true for you. 
our checkbooks and our checking accounts reveal what we actually love. And here's what I love about these magi. They experienced the joy of God because they actually loved God by seeking him, by worshiping him, and by worshiping him with tangible treasures. You know, here at Connection Point, when we talk about giving to God, we often show stories of how God uses our combined gifts as a church to feed the hungry, to train up the next generation, to reach the lost. And it's amazing to see what God does through our movement. But did you know, it's more important that you're giving to God than that you're giving for the results. Why? Because we give as an act of worship. We give not for what we can get, not even for what it does, but for what it does in us. It humbles us when we say, God, I actually believe that you made everything and everything in my life is from you. And I trust that as I pour out generously to you, you're gonna take care of me. God, I trust in you more than I trust the dollar. I trust in you more than I trust in my resources. Giving because we bow down before God, that's the path to joy like the Magi experienced. They experienced the power of God because they actually sought him and they actually brought him gifts of great value. Let me tell you an inspiring story from someone here at Connection Point who brought God a gift of great value. This is Zach. Zach is 11 years old. And I've got to tell you guys this incredible story. Uh, Many of you were here a year and a half ago when we started a campaign called Greater Things. And part of that campaign actually is our digital ministry. It's because of people who've given to the Greater Things campaign that you can watch this on the internet right now. It's because of people like Zach. A year and a half ago, when we really cast this vision, we said, uh, church family, would you step up and give generously to the work of God? God moved in Zach's heart. Zach filled out a commitment card, the same one that our adults filled out. And he said, he did all the math that he thought he could make $75 over the next two years. And so he wrote on that commitment card that he was gonna give $75 unto God through the Greater Things campaign. And so Zach did that. He started to save his money from his birthdays and from Christmases. And then over the summer, this last summer, he worked hauling rock and dirt and paver stones saved up his dollars, brought those $75 here, gave them not to a church, but through a church to God as an act of worship. I love this picture of Zach standing next to our greater things wall, pointing to the jar where he made a commitment. I also love it that Zach thought in two years he could make $75 and by a year and a half he had made $80. This is not uncommon when you start to give to God that he actually surprises you. I love Zach's story because Zach's the only giver I know of in our church family who has given 100% of his income back to God. I love it because God thinks in percentages. Jesus once told this story of a widow who had just a penny and she dropped it in the offering at the temple as an act of worship to God. And then a rich man came in and he made a big flamboyant offering. And Jesus said to those following him, this widow gave a bigger gift in God's eyes. And they said, why? And he said, because she gave everything she had. Way to go, Zach. Zach gave everything he had. 
May he be an inspiration to us, a challenge to us. I'm guessing there's people who watching this who make 50,000 a year or 100,000 a year who've not given $80, who've not given anywhere near the act of worship. And I just wanna encourage you this Christmas, we never give here out of shame or guilt. We don't even give just to a church. We give to God through a church, to the work of God. But my challenge to you this Christmas is, have you actually sought God like those magi did? Are you actually bowing down and worshiping him? And are you actually bringing some kind of tangible, sacrificial gift, just like Zach has done, just like the Magi did? You know, it's interesting that the government passed a law this year for COVID that 100% of an adult's income can be tax deductible. It's usually less than that. Now, I know most of us could never give away 100% of our income because we have to live off of it. But it's so interesting that Zach was able to do that. And yet Zach doesn't pay taxes, so he won't even get the tax credit. But you know what he gets? A heaven credit. Jesus said that whatever you do secretly as unto the Lord, it will be rewarded openly in heaven. What is God's word teaching us today? There are people who miss God because they're consumed with themselves. And there are people who find God because they seek him and they bring gifts to him. I wonder for you this Christmas, what will you present to Jesus? Those magi, they opened up their treasure. What's the Holy Spirit right now saying? You need to open up that land or that asset or whatever it is. You just need to open up something that you've been clinging to. Just like Herod was saying, this is my kingdom. Jesus, don't threaten what I have. I've got to keep all my stuff together. And guess what? Pretty soon that Herod was dead. And that Herod left a legacy that then his son would behead John the Baptist. His nephew would say, I'm God and get struck down dead. He left a whole legacy of greed. These magi left a legacy of generosity and joy. What kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy do you wanna have this Christmas? And, and this isn't for me. This is for you and God. What will you present to Jesus this week? I know it's something that I'm praying about and that I'm talking about with Melanie saying, okay, we know what we're gonna spend on each of the kids for Christmas and on each other. What can we do that is sacrificial and extravagant as unto the Lord, done in secret, knowing that God openly rewards in heaven everything that is secretly done for him here on earth? Well, no matter what God's doing in your heart today, I wanna encourage you with this. God wants you to have joy this Christmas. You'll find it as you seek him, as you worship him, and as the Holy Spirit leads you and you obey to bring him some sacrificial gift. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, I thank you first and foremost that you gave us the greatest gift that first Christmas. That Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins so that we could have the gift of eternal life, the gift of being free from shame and free from the fear of death, of being made right with you and having a place in heaven. So Lord, if there's anyone watching this who doesn't know you as their savior, Lord, you're not looking to get money from them. You're looking to give to them the gift of eternal life. And I pray that anyone who doesn't know you would right now say, Jesus, I believe, would you forgive my sins, adopt me into the family of God. Lord, for every single one of us adopted into your family, May we every day of this month of December be like those wise men. Would we seek you consistently with all our heart? Would we bow down and worship you this Christmas? And Lord, would you lead us, show us 
whether it's giving time or treasure, giving of our emotion, giving of our gifts, that we would extravagantly and sacrificially present to you our treasures because you are worthy. Lord, all this you've taught us in your word today. Help us now to go and live it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.